Altazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing from people all around town, all around the country. Even all um, around the world. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I see our lines already starting to light up. Let's all go right. to the line with David. Good morning, David. Good morning. Good yes, morning. Sir. Yeah, I've got a 2012 Ford Fusion, and I'm I'm getting like a wobble or a vibration, and it comes and goes, but it seems like it doesn't really start until it's like 60 miles an hour, and you know, and on up. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I got new tires on there, and that helped, but I'm still getting it. But I can't seem to find you know like a certain speed or mm-hmm. a certain RPM. Well, that let it me happens. ask you a couple of questions, David. You say it starts at 60 miles an hour. You're just driving along, and you hit 60 miles an hour, and it starts to shake. I start feeling a vibration, and it's not every time, though. That's what's making it so confusing is, you know, it seems like 63 seems to be the magic right, number. Right, but it I just comes in. You don't have to hit a bump or you don't have to do anything, accelerate. You just, you're just driving along normally, and, and that's when it comes in? Yes. Okay, and where do you feel it? Kind of feel like in the gas pedal and the seat, maybe. And how long does it last? Is it just a continue? If you stay at that speed, you just continue to do it? No, it seems like it kind of goes away after a few seconds, a lot just of times. A few time. seconds, okay. I would suspect that is some type of a transmission lockup issue. And mm-hmm. Ford has had a lot, lot, lot of trouble with, you know, you got your gears, your regular gears and right. all that stuff in your overdrive. But there's also what they call torque converter lockup. And that's where the torque converter locks one-to-one. It's a clutch that closes off. And it does it nowadays between gears and all kind of crazy places, even as high as 60 miles an hour. It used to be it was totally locked in by that speed, so you never would see that. But it'll be a brief, almost like you ran over a cattle garden road, like a and you're like, hey, what was that? Uh-huh. And then it goes away because once it locks in, it'll quit. It's when it's going in to lock up. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. If you can think about it, next time it does it, if you can keep your foot on the accelerator just while it's doing it and reach over and just touch the brake pedal, if it immediately stops, then very likely that's the problem because when it sees brake application, it's going to kick it out of lockup. Okay. Okay, and if if that's the case, the first stage would be to have the transmission serviced properly. And a proper service with new fluid will clear that up, I'd say, about 60 to 70% of the time. Now, if it persists after that, then you're into a much bigger issue. The valve body in those have problems wearing out, in my opinion, because they're not being serviced often enough. And, again, Ford recommends, I think, 100,000 miles on the first service, which I think is ludicrous. If I had that vehicle, I'd service it every 30,000 miles and never more than every 50,000 because that fluid starts to break down. It's got an aluminum valve body with steel valves in it, and what happens is that contaminated dirty fluid gets into those valves and it's not like the old days where they were just off and on now they're pulse width modulate which means they move constantly so if you take a piece of steel and you rub it on a piece of aluminum with some abrasive in there what's going to happen it's where that valve body out pretty fast and then the fluid starts running past it and giving you all kind of weird problems like this so how many miles you got on now david about 85 okay try a good proper service now that's not a flush that's a good service with proper fluid and all that i'm not sure which transmission you got in that some of them have an internal filter that can be replaced. Some of them don't. You can't get to the filter. It's built inside transmission. Yeah, it's got the internal filter. A lot of them do. You know, drain and fill it three times. Right, right. Double or triple drain and fill would be the only way. And you got to go back with Ford's latest and greatest. It may call for LV. It may call for yes, SP. Yes, it goes for the LV. 
Okay. Yeah, that's the low viscosity. That's what they came out with to try to address some of the shutter problem. So I would do a triple grain and fill. And if it gets much, much better, but still has a little bit in there, there's actually some stuff. I don't normally recommend additives, but there is some stuff called friction modifier. And you can add just a little bit of that sometimes. And what it does, it allows that clutch to slip just ever so slightly. And that can also help take it out. But if it goes on, it will end up damaging the converter, and then you won't be able to get it out, and then you'll you'll be in bigger problems. Okay. All right. Well, I'll do that. Okay. Are y'all giving that book away? We certainly are. All right. I'd like to have it. Well, you're the first caller. (laughs) David, if you you hold on, I'll put you on back to the producer, and he'll get that information from you. All right. Thank you very much. Uh All right. Thank Thank you. you. There you go. And that was the final book, but it I want was. to kind of give a little promotional announcement there to Steve Cook. He wrote a book called OBD Diagnosis Made Easy. Sure. And we had three copies. That was the third copy. Last week's show, we had some technical difficulties, so we didn't really have a show per se. We came in, and it kind of just went down from there. We did have a caller that questioned about the book we did get a caller through, so he did get his book last week. Right. So, so the so three then. books have been given away. But now you can still go to Amazon.com, or you can just Google Steve Cook, and he can sell the book to you directly. Correct. And it is a real good book, certainly worthwhile. There's a lot of great information there. And, and like the book says, it's made simple where you, the average person can understand what's going on. And it, there's a lot of great things in there. I thought it was a really well-written book. It gives you some understanding. I know, I mean, I've been doing this 50 years, and I read through the book, and I picked up a few tips. Sure. So if you are a do-it-yourselfer, I think you can really get a lot of good information. It goes into a lot of why you don't just jump in there and start doing things, mm-hmm. which is probably one of the biggest things we see. Right. We get a lot of email from folks who are having problems, and inevitably someone will write in, my car is overheating, I've changed, yak, 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 yak. Right, a whole list of things. They rattle off $1,000, $1,200 stuff, and you say, well, let me ask you this, when does it overheat? Well, uh, okay, well, they never even thought that through. So sure. if you don't know, don't just start doing, consult someone who does. And that's one reason we have the website. You can and send the radio an email. Show. Yeah, I, I'll at least point you in the right direction, tell you how, some things to check before mm-hmm. you start changing parts. Because it's kind of like ready, fire, aim. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the most expensive way to do it. Another guy had written, as I've read, that guy asked, well, you must be a very wealthy guy. <laughs> you can afford to approach diagnosis in this method. There's only one reason to diagnose anything, and that's because it's much cheaper than not doing it. Sure. It's to save money. And I know there's this thing about, oh, well, I don't want to spend money on that, but let me tell you, today's, that's the cheapest money ever going to spend. Sure. With today's vehicles, the, the parts, I mean, some of the cheapest parts are $100. Oh, very, yeah. Very so, easily, three to $500 parts. And the thing is, not only are you not going to fix the problem, you may create Exactly, with with the parts that you are putting on. We see that a lot of times where we had a guy come in, he had some kind of an issue, tailgate wouldn't unlock or something to that effect, and he couldn't figure it out, so he ends up changing the body control module, which Uh did not fix the problem, but it also picked up several others because that module was not programmed to the car. Sure. So when he brings it in, we find a broken wire, we fix that, but then we got to go in and program this module. We have to undo all these other problems that were created created in the process. Yep. Let's go back our phone lines. We got CJ online. Good morning, CJ. Uh, good morning. How are you guys? Doing today? great. Sir. Good morning. I have a 2001 Toyota Tacoma with a four-cylinder engine. Okay. My question is the air conditioning clutch. When I it's starting to make a squeak, squeak, and when I when it makes that noise, I I'm and I'm looking at the the clutch itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like the clutch is slipping or disengaging. Is a little light on the AC blinking? No. 
Yeah, it's probably not slipping then. There's a light on your dash on the AC, and the second that clutch slips, it's going to pick it up, and it's going to start flashing the AC light at you. It's going to shut the system down. Well, if I look at the, the bolt mm-hmm. that's uh, tied, mm-hmm. uh, that goes directly into mm-hmm. it, uh, you can see where it's, it stops. See, it can be controlling it. It could be commanding it off. Okay. You know, it, it could be commanding it off, or you could have an electrical problem that's cutting it off. But the point is, you, I know it's kind of a mute point to you, but there's a big, big difference in slipping and turning on turning off from a diagnostic perspective. But if it were truly slipping, there is a sensor in the clutch, a sensor on the compressor. It's going to pick that up, so it's probably not slipping, which means you're probably into where it's shutting off when it shouldn't or more times than it shouldn't. And fortunately, today's topic is going to be on AC, so we're going to get into this a lot more. But basically, all AC issues with a clutch start the same way. You need a voltmeter, and you need to go across the two terminals on that clutch, when it goes on and goes off, you need to know, do you still have power to the clutch? Yes, no. Because okay. if you still got power at the clutch and it's turning off, then you got a defective clutch. You know, in the store, right. that's it. Well, If you do not have like power, it. okay, listen to me. If you do not have power, now you got an electrical issue. Now, that can be one of about a thousand different things. That can be the control panel turning it off. That could be the low-pressure switch is going too low. It could be the clutch relay is kicking out. But you have to determine first, do I have a bad clutch or do I have an electrical problem now don't get fooled by using a voltmeter because a lot of your voltmeters aren't fast enough to pick that up if you take a test light and get across those two terminals and watch that light as soon as that power drops out that light will go out if it blinks if it blink, if the light's blinking you've got something's turning it on and off right and if that's the case then you got an outside problem if that's not the case if i got 12 volts across those two terminals at the clutch at the clutch then i've got a bad clutch right it seems as if, though, does it mostly at low speeds, uh-huh. at lower speeds. Okay. Well, but again, that's, that doesn't it's mean... Same it, thing? Same scenario? Mean, yes. Yeah, same thing. you yeah. got to know, do you have power at the clutch when it occurs? Okay. So if, well, you, don't, if you don't I'll know have... that, you're guessing. Yes, sir. And I guessing gets expensive. It get, guessing gets very, very... Because that clutch is about $680, and it's about two and a half hours changing. <laughs> yes, sir. I, 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 I have changed some of those clutches yeah. at fairly low mileage. We have seen them go out. The call goes bad on them i mean doesn't happen a lot but it does happen we changed one last week for just that same problem but i want to know whether you got power and ground and see you can't check like from just the power to the ground because some of them control the ground rather than right. the power it you has power to. all the time but the ground goes in and out so you want to be between the two terminals and if yes, you sir. if you still have power and ground while this occurs then you got a bad clutch if not then yeah. you got to start checking upstream from there but well, that's, that's the first the- question you have to answer because the vehicle has over 200,000 miles uh-huh. on it. Okay. So it's, uh, I guess it makes no difference as to whether or not you have power there or not. Well, it's, no, it's still the same still, thing. Yeah, you still got to have still power ground thing. there. You still still got to have power Whether it's got there. zero miles or 200,000 right. miles. If you don't have power and the clutch is slipping. I mean, alternative, go put a new clutch on it, and then when it still don't work, come back and check so you've got power <laughs> and ground and go from there. <laughs> There's two ways you can I do see. it. <laughs> All righty. But thank you, sir. I okay, appreciate CJ. it. Thank All you. Right. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more in the Automotive Hour. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car into agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. 
They can even catch small issues that could lead to big expensive problems down the road. And they code general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Our number is 291-6901. Give us a call. Glad to try to help you out. Appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. There you go. I thought today we would talk a little bit about air conditioning. Sure. Kind of good time. We're going to do that. Yeah, with the outside heat being what it is, I mean, it's... It's um, like miserably hot in yeah, South oh, Louisiana God. right now. It really is. I mean, it's... Get up to the mid-90s, and it really hadn't even got... It gets to... 100 degrees a lot of times during yeah. the summer and more to the point 85 to 100% humidity <laughs> it really yeah, we had a we had a uh, heat advisory Wednesday or Thursday I believe the the temperature the heat advisory was like 105 or something mm-hmm. so it was all the way across the whole state oh yeah so air conditioning is not a luxury in this part of the world it's almost and a necessity, it's a necessity. you're not going to stay in that car a whole, not too long well the newer cars are not designed to be without air conditioning if you had a 55 chevrolet you had those two those big vents, vents you could yep. pull out you could roll the windows down you got some airflow through it later but, models had the quarter glass you could turn out mm-hmm. and catch some air yeah but, cars today are generally designed to be air conditioned right and without the air conditioning at very least the defrost is not going to work very well if at all, and then two, you're just not going to hardly be able to stay in the car. But I thought we would talk about air conditioning, sure. some diagnosis, and some things like that. But as always, if you have a question about another topic, you never limit it to what we're talking about. I see our lines are lighting up. Right. Let's see if we can catch a few of these. We've got Eddie online. Good morning, Eddie. Hey. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have a 2006 Dodge Ram. Okay. Diesel. Uh-huh. It quit running, so I put it in the shop and had the injector stays on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Running again now, but it's Acts like it's taken off in second gear. Doesn't have a first gear. Real sluggish taking off. Mm-hmm. But when it gets up to about fifteen miles an hour, it goes. But it just I can't feel first gear. Well, what you need to do to determine that, or one easy way to determine that, is to just downshift it to manual first gear and see if you can feel it drop down into first. You know, if it's in second and you put it to manual first, it should drop down a gear. If it does okay. not, it I'm- could very well be taking off in second gear. I know they have had some issues with that. And that is 100% control from the outside. The sensors now on the engine is what tells the transmission when to take off and all. So it's quite possible when they were doing the work, they could have disturbed something that is causing it to do it. Pretty important to get that taken care of because if you keep on going with it, you can end up damaging transmission. But it's fairly easy for a shop to determine. In fact, he can plug a scan tool to it and he can see what gear is in there. And further, he can see what's being commanded. You know, if it's commanding second gear for some reason, there are certain circumstances where if it loses a sensor, it'll command second gear. And so... Is that something y'all can... Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. I've tried to manually shift it, and it doesn't work. I put it in a, I put it in a transmission shop, and I had the, the little things changed on the inside. Illinois. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. That didn't work either. Hmm. Did they Maybe recommend I'll, I'll doing that? The shop well, recommended uh, that? Uh, I looked on the internet. Yeah, okay. Well, then that's... See what's not the problem. Yeah, you kind of, yeah, you need to get somebody that can diagnose yeah, you need it for to get you. to diagnose the problem because that is almost always going to be an outside problem, particularly if it started right after the food would inject. Right after they did it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm suspecting the, either the wire is off or something like that. Maybe something got 
messed up in the program. Who knows? But that's something you could check from the outside, and I very seriously doubt that will be anything inside the transmission. All right. Well, I'll make an appointment and okay. bring it in. All right. Let's give us a call. Thank you very much. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. Hi, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to report the automotive iron, we've got Raymond on the line. Good morning, Raymond. Hey, Lewis. Yes, sir. First of all, I want to thank you for the book. Oh, you're more than welcome, sir. I've been a little covered up over here, so I'm not all the way through it by no means. And I'd like to make a little comment first about a couple of callers ago. I didn't really hear what kind of vehicle we was talking about. Mm-hmm. But what I have run into a good little bit is the charging system not working right, and it won't draw that thing in. Yes, sir, exactly right. Yeah, if it, if it's, I didn't hear you make that point. So yeah, if it's a little low on the refrigerator, but again, what he needs to do first is check the power and ground at the clutch. Because if it's commanding off, then you know you got something else causing it. Then you can start digging deeper. But then if you, you don't have power, deeper. yeah. if it, you don't have power, then you got to find out why not. Right, and if you do, well, then, okay, that limits it to the clutch. So, but, but you need to know the amount of that power, too, see? Yeah. Anyhow, what I was going to do, and I might listen offline on the radio, what you had mentioned before, and I'd like to see if you've got, since you're on air conditioning, you had told us about what our pressure should be on them systems, like when it's when the compressor starts pumping, what your temperature ought to be before and then afterwards. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Gives us some idea. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So if you would go through that, I'd appreciate it. On the high side, as a rough rule, this is not precise, but as a rough rule, it should be two times the ambient temperature plus 40 degrees. So let's say it's 80 degrees outside. 80 and 80 would be 160, plus 40 would be 200. Your high side pressure should be around 200. Low side should be close to around 30. I mean, it can't go much below 30 because it's going to shut down, and you don't want it too much above 30. So that's kind of a good general rule of thumb. But, again, the only way to really charge a system is to evacuate it and put the correct amount by weight. You can't yeah, go by gauges anymore. I understand that, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We just hook it up to one and kind of give you some kind of idea. That's exactly right, yes, and, You know, you give you some idea of the performance of the compressor. That's right. Plus 40. That's what I need to know. I couldn't quite remember it. <laughs> okay, Raymond. You know, I'm getting a little uh, senior moment, too. Here I understand. On. You about the same age I am. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm a year or two younger, but we ain't going to talk about that. <laughs> you got more money. I can't argue with there you. There you go. That's right. Uh, <laughs> All right, Raymond. All right. 291-6901 is the number. We're going to be part of the Automotive Hour. We're going to go back to our phone lines with Dorothy. Good morning, Dorothy. Hey, Dorothy, you there? Oop, must have lost it. Dorothy, if you call right back, I'll put you straight up to the top of the list. We were talking about air conditioning. Right. And the first thing I think that comes before anything else is if you are going to go with a symptom-based diagnosis. The problem with air conditioning is no matter what goes wrong, the symptom is roughly the same. Right. You're going to have, cool. right, <laughs> have warm air, warm yeah. or hot air. Right. The, the unit doesn't cool. And that doesn't matter if it is low on refrigerant. If the clutch if is burned up, clutch is burned up. If the relay is bad, if the right. compressor has totally catastrophically failed, or if there's a fuse blown, the symptom is going to be it's not going to get cold. Sure. Now, on most of the systems today, you have what they call a reheat system, and what a reheat system is, it chills the air, dehumidifies it, then there's a door that opens and it brings the temperature back up to what's comfortable for the driver. Mm-hmm. Now, when it's hot inside the car, that may be running one hundred percent. When it starts to cool off, it can get uncomfortably cool. So what it does, it doesn't cut it off. It goes and it reheats the system. It right, just mixes a little warm air to it. So that's another option is if it reheats not working and it's putting too much heat. Then you still get warm air out of the vent. The system is operating at 200 degrees, and the air conditioner is operating around 48. So the, right. the heater's going to work. You know, it's <laughs> Always It's definitely going to work. 
Let's see if we can go back to the line with All Dorothy. Right. Good morning, Dorothy. Hey, how are you? Doing Hello. great. Um, I have a question. My child's moving out of state to a big city, and uh-huh. he wants to buy a Toyota Prius. Yeah. When he goes. And I'm wondering about the reliability and repairs on that car. Dorothy, I would never, ever recommend a hybrid to anybody just because do they save a little bit of fuel? Yes, they do. But is it cost effective? I think not at all. I mean, I've got a Toyota Camry gasoline engine that gets 45 miles to the gallon. A Prius might get 50. If you do the math, on the difference between 45 and 50, it's almost yeah. nothing because you're saving a smaller and smaller percentage. Now, when you add to that fact, you got a $3,000 battery, you got a $12,000 transaxle assembly that, that's the starter, the alternator, and all that. It's just way, way, way too much complexity for the savings. And it's, it's so convenient. There's a gas station on every corner. Right. You know, to charge that yeah. vehicle, you have to have a, you don't, well, don't, it's a hybrid. It right. Would, it would charge itself, but still, to me, it's just the complexity is way, way, way out of line. You know, hybrids are not new. I mean, a 1939 German U-boat was a hybrid because it had diesel engines <laughs> running a generator charging batteries. They had to do that because they had to go underwater, and it can't, diesel can't run underwater. But the point is, it's not new technology. It's old technology. It just never caught on because it's not cost-effective. You make it where it's cost-effective, and maybe so. But to me, he's going to be okay maybe for, if he can buy it and then turn around and sell it before it starts giving him any trouble. He'd probably be okay, but... I just don't see it. I mean, the cost of repair is just astronomical on those cars. So how long do batteries on that car last? Who knows? I mean, I think they're guaranteed for 100,000 miles, but 100,000 miles goes by pretty fast. And, yeah. you know, like I said, you, you're talking three grand for a battery. The charging system, which the alternator and starter and the drive motor are all the same thing, called transaction, it's $12,000, which means if the alternator goes out, it's twelve grand. So you basically total the car. Oh, my God. So, I mean, go on my website and type in the word hybrid, and there's a lot. I have at least two articles in there on them. They're not necessarily a horrible thing, but they're just not cost-effective, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, our younger generation so been on Well, they've been brainwashed. They've been brainwashed. I mean, they they hear all this stuff, and and they believe it, and they think it's warm and fuzzy and all. But, you know, I'm going to kind of vote with my pocketbook. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks so much. All All right. Thanks, Dorothy. We're going to take our second quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. With the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive question you may have. Our number is 291-6901, and we've got all our lines wide open right now. 
talking a little bit about air conditioning and stuff such as that today, diagnosis of air conditioning problems, because I think that's where most people go pretty far wrong, sure. pretty fast, and, and it's probably easy. more so on air conditioning than almost anything else. And if you go too far wrong, the result is catastrophic. Well, that's right, because you really, it's kind of like I tell people all the time at the shop, you get one chance to fix an air conditioning properly, yep. and that's the first time. If it's done properly the first time, it will probably last as long as the original unit mm-hmm. lasted. But if you do anything wrong, it's not going to be just fixing what's wrong. Because when air conditioners fail, it's kind of like when transmissions fail. They tend to take out the entire system. Sure. The compressor goes out, and compressors normally never just fail. Something usually is going to kill the compressor. When that happens, the debris from that killed compressor goes through the condenser, which is now ruined, goes into the mufflers and the hoses, so now the hoses are gone, plugs up the expansion valve you have on, so that's done, and... Each time this occurs, the problem gets worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. If you go in the first time, clean up all the mess, put it back together right, then you can expect to get the same life you got out of the first one. If one particle of metal remains in the system, it's going right back through there, inevitably get back in that new compressor, compressor. and that metal is not going to compress. No. So you start to cycle all over again. This time you got the debris out of two compressors in it. So it's twice as bad. Yep. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Ralph on the line. Good morning, Ralph. Good morning. Yes, I have a 2008 towel car. Okay. And the air conditioner was working pretty good on automatic all the time. Recently, it started going through the full board. Now, when you put it to, uh, on the vent system that does the, uh, the facial top and the bottom, it starts working. But it doesn't work on automatic like it used to. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, you used to cut it off and on, and, and it would work. But then it just stops. only works now through uh, the uh, air conditioner vent and, and the full board at the same time, not just by itself. Yeah, you're going to have to take that to someone who can test it for you, Ralph, because that ATC controller can go out, but those are relatively expensive to replace and kind of difficult to replace, so you don't want to just go throw a part at it. Because you can also have one of the actuators, which is what the controller uses to control the air going bad. If that shorts out, it can flip the ATC computer out. In other words, it it sees a short there and it's going to flip out. It's going to start shutting down and all that. So it could be one of a couple of different problems, and without a Ford-type scan tool, there is no way to know. You're just changing parts, and every part on there is three or 400 and several hours worth of labor. So you need to get to someone who's got a Ford-type scan tool. They can go in. They can see if the actuators are working. They can see if the control panel's bad, tell you which one it is. We have changed a fair number of the control panels, but we've also changed a fair number of the actuators. So you can even get something like a broken door inside the case, which can jam the actuator up and cause that problem. So there's a number of things that can cause it, but like I say, you're going to have to have some type of tooling and experience to go in and diagnose the problem. That's the key, to get the fix right the first time. Because it's expensive if you fix it right one time. But what's really expensive is do the wrong thing and have to still have to come back and fix it right. But can it get worse, though? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Quit working completely. I mean, but I mean, I'm blowing it through the rear view, and, the, and the, the one that has now, the manual, can I do it like that for the summer, or will it kill it, but uh, it cause it uh, to die or uh, have problems prematurely? I would go get it fixed if it was me. You would what now? I would have it fixed if it was me. I would not run it like that. Okay, all right. Well, thank you. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. Part of automotive hour. There you go. And, you know, when an AC quits working, of course, the first thing a lot of people think, oh, well, it must be out of refrigerant. Right. Must have leaked all out. Must have leaked out. So they go and the neighbor comes over with his little charging kit he bought off of eBay and whatever, sticks it on there and dumps some more refrigerant in it. Now, not only is that not going to fix the problem in many cases, but it can set up 
a hugely, hugely expensive and sometimes even non-repairable situation. Well, sure, because today's systems are like 12 ounces, where back in the day they used to be two pounds. Or even four or five pounds. Who knew? But today's systems are relatively small compared to the old ones. And let's just say you've got the standard, the regular, correct amount of refrigerant in it. Yeah, you already got the right amount you, in You there. put another 12 ounces in it, you're 100% overcharged right. now. And you'll start blowing things apart. Well, the head pressure is going sky high, which can damage the compressor. It can damage the evaporator core. It can open up the condenser. What can also happen, because the way refrigerant works, the way it cools your car, is that a liquid goes to the condenser. The condenser turns it to a gas. The gas goes out to the system at high pressure. It drops to a low pressure, and then low-pressure gas returns to the compressor. If it's overcharged, liquid can return to the compressor. And you can't compress liquid. Anybody who ever drove through high water with a car and sucked some water up in the motor knows that, knows per that first lesson. Hand. Yeah. <laughs> liquid does not yep. compress. If any liquid gets back to that compressor, it is going to destroy the compressor immediately. Sure. The metal from the compressor is going to spew throughout the entire system, and now you're into a complete system replacement and when all you, because you're going to try to recharge it and when you say complete that is every single part including the evaporator any, behind the dash any part that can't be cleaned out which is most of the parts on the system these days but another big big issue is that a lot of parts stores sell a refrigerant that has a stop leak in it right it's a single can with a like a little gauge on top and a hose on it right but it doesn't say stop leak on the front right that's in the small print on the back now once you add a contaminant to the system the first thing i do when i get the car in the first thing that i have to do is identify what's in the system right we have to actually pull a sample off of we it we pull a sample we run it through an analyzer and it's going to tell us what's in that system is this 134a is this some kind of a cocktail of different things does it have air in it does it have stop leak in it now the reason i have to do that is because by federal law i have to recycle this refrigerant right we can't just open it up and let it out in the I atmosphere cannot let it escape in fact there is a twelve thousand dollar fine for anyone caught up to $30,000 Right, that's right. I think it's a $10,000 reward for turning them in. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, you can't let this mixture out. Right. You also cannot suck it through a A recovery recycle machine because if it does, you can wipe a $10,000 machine out. Right. So now you've got a system which basically cannot be repaired. Right. By a legitimate shop. Now, I know maybe some guy in his backyard says he... uh, God hey, bless him. Go for it. Don't let me know about it because right. I'm going to turn him in and get the 10 grand reward. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about. Yeah, this cannot, you basically got a car that's not fixable at this right. point. So be extremely cautious of anybody putting anything into that air into conditioning system. system. The only thing that goes in there is pure refrigerant, refrigerant oil, and those are in the proper amounts. Correct. Because some's good does not mean more is better. Right. You put too much oil, you're going to get into the same situation you would if you overcharged it. Well, with let's say the system calls for six ounces of oil and it has six ounces in there you dump another six in there well now you've taken up six ounces of room that the refrigerant so when you put the 12 ounces of refrigerant the system's overcharged right now if some of this liquid oil returns back to compressor again same as liquid refrigerant it does not compress you destroy the entire system Mm -hmm. i would say the vast majority of ac system failures we see particularly catastrophic failures are somebody killed them right they didn't just die on their own Somebody killed it. Somebody tried to recharge it. Somebody tried to work on it. Somebody caused a problem. When it comes to recharging a system, there is only one way to recharge that system. That's and right. That is to evacuate the entire system, measure what comes out, 
recycle that, and then put the correct amount back in by weight. Every automotive manufacturer has a label underneath the hood that tells you how much refrigerant goes in that system. I know that for a fact. Every manufacturer has that label under the hood. That's how much goes in it. That's right. And, of course, if you don't have that, if maybe the hood was replaced and the label was lost, there's service data you can go to. But you have to put the correct amount. The only way to put the correct amount is suck everything out right. and then put the correct amount. You can't add to it. It's not like the old days when you had R12 or R22. Had a, and had a four-pound system. Yeah, you had a five-pound system. You could sit there and watch the gauges, and when the low side got down, high side got up, you were okay. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. You're going to end up either overcharge or undercharge. Either one is it's, catastrophic because sure. the systems are so small that the charge is critical. It's just like the transmissions today where they don't have a dipstick. The amount of fluid in that transmission is so critical, they don't want a dipstick in there. They want you to do it By, properly. Right. And it takes several thousand dollars worth of equipment. A, a special lift, procedure. That perfect level of procedure. You have to do the temperature. You have to compensate for yourself even to add transmission fluid. Mm-hmm. Refrigerant is probably 10 times worse than that. Right. So the point is, do not let anyone go in and start tampering with your system because you will take a fairly minor problem and, and turn it into a great big one. Well, yeah, because one of the biggest things we see when the system quits cooling, what will happen is that you come to a stop sign or red light right and you notice it starts getting warm in the car you take off back going down the road and, and it, it starts to cool back down so you don't think about it much but then it gets more and more and more noticeable well the first thing they assume is what well, must be low refrigerant so however had, that may not be the problem at all right you think about it you're going down the road 50 60 miles an hour you have that wind coming through the condenser cooling it down. cooling it down well when you come to a stop that air no longer is moving through there so you have to have a fan which moves this air sure if that fan is not operating not operating properly that's the key not operating properly because it, 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 it can still be turning it can be turning but turn at too low a speed sure if the module goes out it may command down to 50 percent. it's not turning fast enough and to draw so the right amount of air cooling the head pressure is going high it can even shut the compressor down under certain conditions because head pressure is too high sure well you go dump more refrigerant in there not only have you not fixed the problem but you made it 10 times worse because yep. now you've boosted the pressure even higher so the point is you have to diagnose the system we had a gentleman come in not long ago and his system was shutting down not cooling and the first thing he did he went and replaced the cabin air filter which mm-hmm. it did need replacing right but rather than getting an oem filter he got this super whiz bang filter off okay. the internet what happened is the filter was too restrictive it was a better filter but it didn't need a better filter it needed the right amount of airflow around Across that it. evaporator if you put a much thicker much heavier cabin filter in there you're not getting enough airflow past the evaporator it's not picking it up so it doesn't condense out properly. You can get liquid back and tear the compressor up. Right. So just because a little bit is better doesn't mean a whole lot is even better. Right. So he misdiagnosed the original problem, which was a cooling fan wasn't working, but he also put a cabin air filter in it, which, which caused, caused another, problem. another issue. That wasn't blowing hard enough, which inevitably would have torn the compressor up because it's got to move enough hot air past that evaporator, that refrigerant, before it gets back to the compressor. Mm-hmm. There's a part called an accumulator, which will catch a little amount of liquid that gets passed. But it will fill up pretty quick. When it does, it spills over. And that's and the end of the crust. that's the end of, the, end of your pocketbook. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one last quick little break. We'll be back with more. They'll hold on. Die back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Hevolted supervillain, arch nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par. Melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. 
Uh, some days, I just want a garden. Herr Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Got a few minutes left in the show, so give us a call and get your questions answered. We'll talk a little bit about air conditioning. Of course, we'll talk about any topic you may have. That we will. One other point that I want to make before we get out of here is that with air conditioning, there are basically two sides to the system. Right. You have the refrigerant side. That's what's producing the coal or, more properly, removing the heat from the car. Then you have the electrical side. Now, the electrical side includes the actuation of the compressor in cars that have a magnetic clutch type compressor, which is most cars. Mm -hmm. Also works the blower fan, works the condenser fans, works the actuators under dash. All that is the electrical side. Right. Now, the refrigerant side is the compressor, the condenser, the evaporator, the the expansion valve, the hoses, and all of that. The refrigerant side can be working perfectly well. But if, sort of like one of our earlier callers, the electrical side shuts the system down, the symptom is exactly the same. Warm air. It does not cool. Right. The system doesn't cool or won't cool properly. Because in the case of the condenser fan, it may still cool, but it won't cool properly. You can also get situations where things can command the air conditioner off. Again, this is on the electrical side. For instance, on a Chevy pickup, let's say you got a Silverado, and you have a malfunction in your throttle body, and idle goes too low. If that idle drops below about 500 RPM, it's going to shut the AC compressor off because it doesn't want the car to die. So people say, well, every time I come to a stop sign, my air conditioner is not cooling. Is it a condenser fan? Well, maybe, but maybe not. You don't just go change the condenser fan or you don't go add more refrigerant to it. You have to find out why. And that's going to start. The simplest thing is go to the clutch and see if you got power and ground to the clutch because you can see the clutch is turning off. Mm -hmm. In other words, when you come to idle, the clutch goes off. That doesn't mean the clutch is bad. No, it just means it turned off. Does it have power and ground to that clutch? Because if it does not, then you start tracing it up, and you say, okay, well, the computer is commanding the AC off. Why is that the case? Because it could be that the car is overheating or that it thinks it's overheating, and that's a big differential there. Because let's say the sensor that tells the computer that the engine is overheating is bad, and it's reporting that the engine is 500 degrees. Well, sure. The first thing it's going to do is shut the AC off. It's going to shut the AC off. Now, it has nothing to do with the AC system. It has everything to do with the sensor. Let's say the car is actually overheating because it's low on coolant. Well, the coolant sensor for the gauge may be up in top of the intake. Water may not be touching that any longer because the system's low. So it may not even give you Usually you have a two di- you have two different sensors. You have a coolant sensor for the gauge and you have a coolant sensor for the computer. Mm-hmm. There's usually two in every engine. And as long as it's got coolant in it and the coolant's too hot, it's going to show the gauge, going to show that temperature. The point is, on some vehicles, the coolant sensor is high up the intake, high up in the motor somewhere. So when the coolant is low, it's not touching the sensor anymore. It doesn't touch the sensor. If it doesn't touch the sensor, it's not going to know it's hot. Right. I mean, it's going to pick up the heat from the surrounding metal, but it's not going to show an overheat, even though it is overheating. So the point is, you've got to determine first, do we have an electrical issue here, or do we have a refrigerant issue here? Because if I've got 
a compressor that continues to turn. And if I can look at the front of that compressor, and it's turning, but I'm not getting cold. Well, the second thing that a do-it-yourselfer might do is touch the two lines coming out of the compressor carefully because one's going to be really hot. Mm -hmm. The other one should be cold or at least cool. Cool. If they're not, if both lines are warm, then you've probably got a problem in your refrigerant system. Right. Now, let's say one is hot and one is cold. Well, then you probably do not have a refrigerant problem. You could have, but it could be electrical or it could be something under the dash is reheating the air. Yep. Because no matter how much coal that evaporator core is going to produce, right. if you're blowing heated air through it at hot, 200 degrees, the hot air is going to win. The hot is going to win, for sure. And that's why we ask people a lot of times, they'll say, well, my AC isn't cooling. And I say, okay, is it not cooling or is it blowing hot? Well, it's blowing hot. Okay, I understand it's 100 degrees outside, mm-hmm. so it's hot. But is the air hot like outside air or is it hot like heater air? Because if it's much, much hotter than the outside, let's say it's blowing like the heater we're on. Right. So you most likely have something under the dash that has gone. You're probably into some sort of electrical. a re- reheat issue. Now, that could be electrical as in the computer is not commanding the doors to operate properly. The door could be shut because the actuator's bad. The door could be broken. We have seen the that. The actuator could be bad. It could also be something, well, hey, <laughs> I just lost that thought. <laughs> <laughs> But lots and lots of things can cause the air to reheat. Sure. So the point is you have to determine what kind of problem you're trying to solve before, before you, you start. even start to diagnose. Right. Because if you've got an electrical problem, there's no use getting into the refrigerant system. That is not going to solve the problem. Now, this is often the case where the air conditioner is cooling good and cold. It's blowing 43, right. 44 degrees out of the blower. Then it quits blowing. It starts blowing hot. Then it starts blowing cold again. Because if it were a refrigerant problem, let's it would say never it would blow. blow. It's it would not never gonna, blow cold again. It's not going to regenerate. Right. It's not going to all of a sudden, if the compressor goes out, it's not going to all of a sudden get if, good again. Right. If it blows cold at any point, then the refrigeration side is most likely working most like it's supposed Most likely. I can think of one or two situations where it could happen. Most likely, or far more likely, you're into either a reheat problem or an electrical, or electrical problem. problem. Because if the compressor is being commanded off, and a number of things can cause sure. that. Sure then it's senseless to go into your refrigerant system. It's just not going to do any good. And you also, you're going to have to have some way to communicate with the computer to see if you're actually getting the command right. from the PCM. You can check very easily that you do not have a, a source power. of power and ground at the clutch. That most do-it-yourselfers can handle. Right. If you do not, it's going to get far more tricky. Well, I mean, you can go back to the relay if you have power and ground there. Right. Or you can go back to the fuse. But any any further than that, it's going to take a... Well, let's say the overheat sensor in the back of the compressor senses overheat when it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, now it's going to shut that compressor off. It's going to do that electrically. It's going to kill the power, kill the ground. So you're not going to have a compressor coming on. This car is going to warm up, but again, it's a sensor. But unless you can read those sensors. Right, the PCM is controlling it. You have no way to know which of all those dozens of sensors. Let's say the low side sensor goes out and thinks the system's low on charge. So it's going to shut the compressor off. It's going to shut the compressor off. Again, if it is low on charge, it's also going to shut the compressor mm-hmm. off. If the idle's too low, if it assumes the car is overheating, any number of things can cause the compressor to shut off. So the fact that the clutch is disengaging really doesn't tell you a whole lot. Right. you got to know, do I have power and ground there? Because very often the clutch gap has worn. 
it sure. clutch is slipping, it's overheating, so the compressor clutch is shutting down. That may be as simple as removing a shim or two from behind put, that drive plate. Put the plate back on. Put it back on. But, again, you have to know, is this occurring when I've got power or without power? And I see we are just about completely out of time. Got to get ready to start winding on down, getting on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written review and fill it out for us. That's right. We really appreciate the written reviews. It lets us know how well we're doing on the show. And also moves us up to the top of the rankings where if someone types in auto repair or some generic term, we're going to come up close to the top of the list. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.